to the Lord tonight. Would you just pray and ask for God's help tonight? Ask for God's, God's will tonight. Number one, pray that God would be honored. Pray that prayer from your heart to the heart of God, that God would be honored in this place this evening. That God would be honored in this place this evening. Number two, pray that the Holy Spirit would be ungrieved. No grieving of the Holy Ghost. Number three, pray the word of God would have free course. No weights and no hindrances, free course. And finally, pray that we would be helped. We thank you by faith in Christ's name, amen. Remain standing, turn in your Bible to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 in your Bible tonight and beginning there in verse 1. The message tonight, keys to a God-sent revival. Keys to a God-sent revival. Not a manufactured revival, not a set of meetings, but keys to a God-sent revival. How to engage the power and presence of God. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 1. Notice the scripture this evening. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 1. Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, in verse chapter 6, you ought to read the prayer he prayed. But when he made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifice and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. The temple had been completed. The temple had been dedicated. And the temple was saturated with the glory of God. Revival is simply when God shows up and shows off. Is anybody here hungry for a manifestation of the glory of Almighty God? When God shows up and shows off, His glory fills the house. You can be seated. Now, I want to give you a little background. I understand that this is the nation of Israel. I know that we're not Israel, but these things were written for our learning. I believe there's some things we can uh, uh, extrapolate from this text that would be help to us along the lines of keys to a God-sent revival. Now, the temple was a chosen place for prayer. God, it was his idea to put his name upon that place. It was a consecrated place. It was a house of sacrifice. But it was a covenantal place because God had made a covenant with his people. As long as they honored him, he promised to honor them. And I want to talk to you tonight from this, this chapter about keys to a God-sent revival. I want to encourage you. First of all, I want you to notice the circumstances where God can work. The circumstances where God can work. Look in verse 12 in your Bible, please. And the Lord appeared unto Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer, and I have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. Now notice the circumstances where God can work. Verse 13, God said, If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locust to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among you. Notice the surprising circumstances where God can work. 
God said, if my people choose plan B, which is disobedience, he said, if I shut up heaven, that there be no rain. God said, if there's drought, that's one circumstance where God can work. How many would agree it's been a long time since we had a spiritual downpour in the conservative churches here in the United States of America? If there be a drought, notice what he said. Or if, uh, not only if there's a drought, but in, in no rain, but he says, if, if, uh, if my people, if I shut up heaven, if I command the locusts to devour the land, in other words, there's destruction, or if I send pestilence among my people, disease. Notice the, the environment in which God can work, the circumstances. Disease. You ever heard of COVID? <laughs> uh, destruction, pestilence, and drought. Now, brother, if disease, drought, and, and, and disobedience are the criteria for God to work, we're on, we're, we're, we're on the front end of a mighty tidal wave, uh, a tsunami of the Spirit of God. And I want to tell you something that you don't have to try to get everything straightened out, straightened out before God can work. Most of us have spent our lives uh, trying to get the circumstances right, believing if we could just get the thing right, our emotions right, our mind right, ourselves right, our church right, if we could just get right. But God said, no, no, if my people will pray toward this place, God works in spite of the circumstances and not because of the circumstances. You don't have to get the situation straightened out to see God work. And I'm telling you, God can work in the worst of conditions. Look throughout the scripture. The light can shine in the darkest night. You say, well, what is revival? Well, the word revive, the prefix R-E means again. Uh, V-I-V-E, vive or vive, it means life. So revival simply means to bring to life again, to bring back to life. When one individual is, is revived, we call it renewal. When a group of God's people are touched, we call it a revival. But when society is affected, we call it an awakening. And I want to tell you, it's so encouraging to see the circumstances in which God said he could work. Notice number two, the conditions for God to work. Now, this text is very, very specific. And the terms of, of reconnection are laid out in verse 14. Now, read it out loud with me tonight, please. Uh, 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, out loud together. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. God gives us three conditions. We see the circumstances, but notice the conditions. Number one, God said, we've got to humble ourselves. If you want to see God work, the first condition is get humble. J.C. Ryle said, humility is the very first letter in the alphabet of Christianity. Jonathan Edwards said, nothing sets a person so much out of the devil's reach as humility. And the first step toward humility is admitting we are proud. I said the first step toward humility is admitting you are proud. You see, the humble man has seen God. The humble man has seen himself. He has a proper perception of God. He has a proper perception of himself. Andrew Murray said that humility is having uh, insight into our own insignificance. <laughs> what is humility? Having insight into our own insignificance. Now, God has an affinity for the humble. 
because the Lord Jesus humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I want to tell you something. A proud heart and a humble God will never get together. And God is the humblest person in the entire universe. And a proud heart and a humble God can never uh, meet together. So the first condition for God to work is to humble ourselves. Augustine said, the first of the Christian graces, humility. The second of the Christian graces, humility. The third of the Christian graces, humility. Humility is the foundation for all virtue. It's the virtue of virtues, and it's the first condition for God to work. God does not work among arrogant, self-sufficient, self-centered, proud people. And I want to I tell you, Jonathan Edwards wrote a treatise on religious pride, spiritual pride. It's on our website. You ought to read that. And I'm telling you, religious pride and spiritual pride is doubly noxious to a holy God. And God said, if you want to see him work, get humble. Notice number two, he said, get hungry. What did he say? Seek my face. I want to tell you something. American Christians are famous for seeking the hand of God. We ought to become desperate to seek the face of God, whether we touch the hand of God or not. God said, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty. The Bible says, he that hungers and thirsts after righteousness shall be filled. I want to tell you, the people who are going to get blessed are the people who are looking and hungry to get blessed. You're going to find what you're looking for. And God, hungry men, find God. One of the greatest tragedies in American churches, in my opinion, is the lack of hunger for God. Back in the mid-90s, when we started our prayer advances, we'd have 500 men come. We had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books, and they were good books. People would come, get their socks knocked off, and I'm just telling you, they'd get a spiritual two-by-four, and they'd go to that book room, and I'm not kidding you, they would leave with a stack of books that high, that high. Nowadays, you can go to a church. Some churches, I believe, if you took the entire congregation, put together, they wouldn't read a, a single book together in an entire year. And I'm telling you, the reason there's no uh, 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 desperation and the reason there's no seeking and there's really no, it's because of a lack of spiritual hunger. Somehow we've taught, we have taught people in such a way, you got all you're going to get. And, and by the way, yeah, but God ain't got all of us. And I'm here to tell you the pursuit of God doesn't end when you get saved. It began when you got saved. And God was seeking you, and now you spend the rest of your life seeking him. And I'm telling you, a little dose of holy hunger wouldn't hurt the lot of us here this evening. Now listen, faith is believing what's not so in order that it might be so. Faith is believing what's not so in order for it to be so. A pastor said to me one day, he said, Harold, I don't see any sign of revival on the horizon. Well, you're going to have to look beyond the horizon and you're going to have to look beyond what you can see by the, with the eye of faith and believe God for a better day. And I'll just tell you, brethren, I'm holding out for a better day in Zion. And I believe that God's going to touch his people once again. I don't know whether it be our group or not, but it'll be some hungry group somewhere that God will put his hand upon. Why? Because they're seeking the face of God. Now listen, we got to stop looking at what is and start looking at what can be. We got to quit analyzing everything to death. And we got to start believing God again. My wife and I, in 1981, we were privileged, and her name is Debbie, by the way. Uh, in 1981, we were privileged to be in five, five, what I would call revivals, where God touched down, where God showed, showed up and showed off. It was amazing. 
One of them was in Maine. And if you know anything about uh, New England people, most of them can't vote right. But other than that, let me just say this, that um, uh, they're, they're not emotional people. And if, God, if, they, if they ever have something, God do something in their heart, brother, they'll broadcast it and you can take it to the bank. It's probably real. We got in a meeting that strung out for 15 days. We'd come to church at 7. At 11 o'clock, we were all there. Some nights we were there to 2 and 3 in the morning. We had these afterglows where people would come and share what God had done in their heart that day. People started coming from up to 200 miles away. And I'm just telling you, there was a spirit of anticipation. I'm telling you, let me, let me say something to you. There was such a spirit of faith in that place. If somebody had gotten resurrected from the dead, it wouldn't have taken us by surprise. I'm telling you, there was such a spirit of expectation. And can I tell you something? Some of y'all need to burn those notes in some of your Bibles that tell us that we're locked in to a Laodicean deadbeat, a lukewarm, half in, half out, half dead, half baked age. And God's ordained us to be that way. And God made them be like that so he could prefigure. You talk about fatalism, brother. I'm telling you, Laodicea was a local church and God didn't tell them to hold on because he wanted them to prefigure what a bunch of deadbeats we're supposed to look like in the last days. He told them to repent. And I'm here to tell you, my friend, uh, we have come up with systems of unbelief to strip the people of God for hope and strip the people of God for any faith for a better day. And we need to repent of our unbelief. Go ahead and say amen on that point. A friend of mine went to a Bible college. The professor said you shouldn't expect over three to five people to be saved per year. What kind of, a, what kind of unbelief? The people that claim to have the highest view of the Bible uh, have the least amount of faith quite often. Now, brother, never mind what has happened. Start dreaming about what can happen. Jesus did no mighty works in his hometown because of the atmosphere of unbelief. And I want to tell you, we need some God-inspired, Holy Spirit-fired men and women who will dare to believe God for the impossible. We've got to stop limiting God through our unbelief. Now, listen, revival is a manifestation of the glory of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones says revival is just a manifestation of the glory of God. Is anybody here tonight hungry for a manifestation of the glory of God? When I go to church, I don't want to be entertained. I want to encounter God. When I go to church, I want to feel like I've been to church when, when I, after I've been to church. And brother, if God shows up and shows off, I'm telling you there's a refreshing, there's an inexplicable uh, a blessing that comes from the presence of God. Are you, longing, are you longing for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Do you still believe there's such a thing as an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Now, my brother, my sister, we need to expect something extraordinary. And the question is, will it be business as usual or the unusual business of revival? Some men see things as they are and they say, why? Other men see, th see things that have never been and they say, why not? Why not? And brother, according to your faith, so be it unto you. I believe our generation has been so socialized, humanized, sentimentalized, and feminized to the point where men have been stripped of the desire to believe God for a better day. But brother, faith is the fuse. Faith is the fire that lights the is the fuse that lights the fire in our souls. And brother, you should be excited about the future because you're going to spend the rest of your life there. 
Today ended today. Yesterday ended last night at twelve o'clock. It ain't never coming back. Quit living in the past, man. Look to the future. And I'm telling you, if you want to see something happen that's great, you're gonna to have to believe and expect something great to happen. Now listen, this is not the time to analyze. This is the time to agonize. Spiritual hunger precedes a spiritual feast. And if you want to see God work, get hungry, get humble. But number three, get honest. Get honest. Our text says, if my people called by my name will turn from their wicked ways. Can I tell you something? All the wicked ways are not in the Democrat Party. Can I just say that to you tonight? All the wicked ways are not in the Republican political realm. All the wicked ways are not just in liberal churches or cults. We got the worst of sins in the best of churches. And if we want to strut around like a bunch of peacocks and uh, spring gobblers, we can if we will. But I'm just telling you, God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And it's high time to get honest and broken in the presence of God. There was a boy out in the ocean. He was... uh, flipping his arms around like crazy, going up and down. And uh, on the beach, there was a sign that said, no swimming. A man came along and saw this kid out there bobbing up and down, flailing around. And uh, he came along and he said to the kid out in the ocean, he said, didn't you see that sign that said, no swimming? And the kid garbled back and said, Mr., I'm not swimming. I'm drowning. And mercy comes to the man who's willing to admit that he's drowning. Mercy come to those who admit they have a need. Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus didn't receive his sight until he cried out and he, he, he wanted to get over his blindness. The woman with an issue of blood, faith rose up in her heart. She said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be made well. And brother, I'm just here to tell you something, that uh, a mercy comes to those that know they have a need and are willing to admit it. I was in Belleville, West Virginia, uh, not exactly... Uh, one of the major population centers on planet Earth. But I was in Belleville, West Virginia. On Friday night, we rushed through the sermon because I called a prayer meeting at 10 o'clock. And I got up at the end of the service and I said, all right, I said, uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have prayer meeting here tonight at 10 o'clock. Men, take your families home. uh, Get them them sorted out. Anybody that can come, come back at 10 o'clock. And then I spent 15 minutes discouraging them from coming back to a prayer meeting. Now, how many of you know you don't need a lot of discouragement uh, to to discourage people from coming back at 10 o'clock for a prayer meeting when they've been working all day and all week? But I said, don't come if you're not willing to confess and forsake your sins. Don't come if you're not willing to put away doubtful habits. And I would just go on down the line and tell them not to come. We had about 18, 20 men show up. About 15 women showed up. We got in the basement of the church. It was a concrete uh, floor. We put some of that uh, foam rubber like you put under a stretch-in carpet. We spread that out on the floor. And uh, we got on our stomachs like a, like a huddle on our bellies. And we had our heads in like a, like a holy huddle. I said, boys, we're going to pray different tonight. I said, we're not going to pray, pray our pre-recorded prayers. I said, tonight we're going to pray different. We're going to pray three rounds of prayer. Round one, we're going to confess our sins to God. We're not going to ask God for anything. We're not going to thank God for anything. We're just going to tell God the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Then I said, after we finish that, round two is praise. Praise. We're not going to ask God for anything. We're going to praise him. And round three, we're going to give our request. Spiritual CPR, confession, praise, request. And I said, let's pray. 
So I launched out into my initial confession of sins, which was very lengthy. And you know, a guy came up to me that night and he said, Harold, I didn't know that preachers had any sins to confess. You know why? Because they never heard a preacher confess a sin. Can I tell you something? Preachers are people too, and they need to confess their sins just like everybody else. Well, I gave the green light to the boys. They coughed up every sin in the book. Pastor Lytell, it was probably two and a half hours on round one. And I remember after about two hours, I was laying on my back, and I put my hands up the front of my face, and I said, Dear God, if you show me one more sin, God, if you show me one more sin, I think I will die. The conviction, the conviction was intense. It was overwhelming. If we regard iniquity in our heart, God doesn't hear our prayers, so there's no use to say stuff if God ain't listening, so we got to get rid of the iniquity in the first place. Well, after round one, we finally got through that, praise God, got into round two, and the boys got with it. Now, this is West Virginia. I know some of y'all have no frame of reference, but you would never know this was a Baptist meeting. I'm just telling you, brother, (coughs) he's who's forgiven much, loves much. They started praising God. Two o'clock in the morning, we're in the basement of the church. We wake people up five houses down the street. That's how, that's, how, that's, how, that's, how, that's how excited they were about praising their God and thanking God for his forgiveness. Man, we got through that with that, and we got into the uh, request where we poured out our burdens to the Lord, and I'm just telling you, brother, we poured our burdens out to God. It lasted, I don't know how long it lasted, probably five, six hours. I had people come up to me 20 years later. They became uh, bivocational pastors in the coal fields, and, and they said, Harold, what God did in my heart on that Friday night, I'm still living on it today, 20 years later. And I'm just telling you, brother, get honest, get open. You got nothing to lose. You know what revival is? It's God pointing his finger right at me. And the man who is honest, the man who is hungry, and the man who is humble is the man who will see God work. Now, notice, if you would, the consequences when God works. The consequences when God works. In the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, The Bible says great grace was upon them all. Great grace was upon them all. In the day of thy power, thy people will be made willing. Brother, a day of God's power, it's a day of heaven upon earth. I know churches that go through seasons of revival and sometimes they last for weeks, sometimes they last for for months. I, I know some churches where I would say, that the glory of God has just hung around and the joy of God has been with those people for years and years. Now, what are, what are the consequences when God works? Well, number one, God says he would hear from heaven. He would hear from heaven. Spurgeon said the goal of prayer is the ear of God. The goal of prayer is the ear of God. Isaiah said, it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they're yet speaking, I will hear. You know what prayer is? It's God giving audience to man. Prayer is God giving audience to man. That's amazing. Uh, Have you ever tried to contact a warranty representative for Ford Motor Corporation? Have you ever had that uh, that, uh, vain hope of getting any solution whatsoever on your warranty issue? Have you ever tried to contact your elected official and try to get something done? Have you ever have you ever tried to contact somebody in authority and made an appeal and, and, and you got the distinct notion these people are not listening. They don't care. But prayer is God giving audience to man. 
And God says, when my people get hungry, when my people get humble, when my people get honest, he said, I will hear from heaven. Prayer moves the hand and moves the universe. More prayers get answered in times of revival than at any other time. Up at that meeting in Maine, that pastor said to me, he said, Harold, we've had more prayers answered in 10 days than we've had answered in 10 years. And I'm telling you, when there's a heightened spirituality and a heightened spiritual environment and a wholly saturated environment, I'm just telling you, brother, things happen. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Oh, dear brethren, he said, I will hear from heaven. Consequence number two, he said, I will forgive their sin. I will forgive their sin. Now, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Is anybody here tonight forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future? Is anybody here really forgiven? Look what happened in verse 5. Solomon after the glory of God, filled the the temple. Amazing. Uh, Notice, he sacrificed 22,000 oxen. That's about how much pastor had for lunch. Uh, He only had 10 ounces. He only had 10 ounces. But look look at this, 22,000 oxen. Good night. 120,000 sheep at the dedication of the house of God. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There was a river of blood flowing at the dedication of the house of God. But the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sins. And I'm telling you, it's the blood that was shed at Calvary that satisfies the holy wrath of God. I'll forgive their sin. We belonged to a church, and there was an agnostic who would come. He was crippled. He had these walking sticks. At that time, he had some sort of a a disease, and and, and he, he could barely negotiate his way around, and He had been preached to, prayed for, witnessed to, but he just couldn't believe. He came to a revival meeting one night. I was there. And uh, on the way home, uh, he was driving home, and he heard something rattling on the trunk of the car. It was his walking sticks, his metal walking sticks, which is a miracle they hadn't blown off. So he somehow got out of the car and made his way back, put the walking sticks in the car, got back in the car, turned on the radio. He was listening to a rock station. And and the announcer came on and said, it's your choice. It's your choice. He said, God spoke to him and said, "Uh, it's your choice, Bruce. What are you going to do with Jesus? He came the next night to church determined to get saved. I was sitting there on the aisle during the invitation, minding my own business, when all of a sudden this commotion, this rattling, and this this, uh, ruckus uh, I, I heard, and I looked up, and what was it? It was him coming down the aisle to get set. He made the choice to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And you talk about a guy that was happy about being saved. Wasn't even sure that God existed, but God talked talked to him through a rock station. Believe it or not, I'm just telling you, the boy got, got the goods, and he's still walking with God as far as I know. Absolutely amazing. God said, I will forgive their sins. Now, somebody asked Gypsy Smith the secret of his contagious faith. You know what he said? He said, I never lost the wonder of it all. I never lost the wonder of it all. I like to sing that, how great thou art, don't you? I love to sing that amazing grace. Friend, are you cognizant? Are you cognizant of the fact your sins are forgiven? Do you ever feel the blood applied? 
I know some of you emotionless, Spock-like people don't believe in emotions, but uh, people in the Word of God had some emotions every now and then. And it's good to feel the blood applied. Remember Simon and the disciples sitting there in the house, and they had no water, no kiss, and no oil for the Savior, but a sinful woman came, washed his feet with her tears, kissed his feet, anointed his head with oil, and Jesus said, Your sins, which are many, are forgiven. And she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. I want to tell you where there's no conscious awareness of grace. There's little appreciation of the grace of God. But a right estimate of God will produce a conviction of sin. Churches in America were loaded up on information Loaded up on information, loaded up on con- on, on uh, uh, consolation. The excitable churches have motivation. That's not us. Uh, but, but most churches, they have lots of information, lots of consolation. Some have some motivation. But I ask you a question tonight. Where in the world is the Holy Ghost conviction in the average congregation today? We tell people that God loves them, but they never even think they need to be forgiven because they don't even think they're they're sinners in the first place. We purge the pulpit from repentance and preaching the spirituality of the law of God. So we packed up our, our, our congregations and we're wondering what in the world is wrong. We got all the divorce going on. We got all the uh, homosexual thing going on. We got all this mess going on. What is wrong? What is wrong? I'll tell you what is wrong. You can't shepherd lost people. You just can't do it. And dear one, I'm telling you, when you're forgiven, you know you appreciate the grace of God. John Newton, the converted slave trader. Can you imagine trading people uh, as animals? Can you imagine throwing people off the boat for sport to watch the sharks eat them alive? But oh, John Newton got found out by the grace of God. He wrote that song called Amazing Grace. On his deathbed, he called his elders in, and you know what he said? John Newton, he said this, a converted slave trader. He said, I am a great sinner. He said, I am a great sinner, but I have a great Savior. And I'm telling you, self-righteous people can get by with a minuscule Savior. But great sinners require a great Savior. And I'm telling you, we got a great Savior. He said, I will forgive their sin. Number three, he said, I will heal their land. I will heal their land, the consequence. Revival is not when churches change members. It's when the Holy Spirit changes lives. Israel was a theocracy. They were ruled by God. God God wanted uh, to be their ruler and their king. By the way, all this talk about a savior, how many churches talk about a king anymore? How often do we ever hear anything about the lordship of Christ? But, but, But our nation is not a theocracy, but the church should be. Uh, Our our country is not a theocracy, uh, but our families should be. Uh, America is not Israel. It's not a theocracy, but our hearts should be. And God said, when he comes, I'll heal their land. I wonder tonight, do you have any hurts that need to be healed? Does your family have any divisions that need to be repaired? Are there issues in your sphere of influence in your church that need to be settled. God said, I will heal their land. Do you know that things happened in a God-saturated atmosphere that will never happen at any other time or any other place? 
It's amazing. I was in Vermont, the Socialist Republic of Vermont, 40 years ago. Two guys were at odds. They'd already determined they were both going to leave the church. And uh, during the meeting, God spoke to one of them. He humbled himself, went to the other guy, put the situation right, and nobody left the church. Up at that meeting in Maine, there was a lady that stood up one night. Her, her parents uh, were in Illinois. Her father was a Baptist pastor. They were hit by a, a drunk driver and both died instantly. And this dear girl stood up that night and she said, God finally showed me what's wrong. She said, I've been angry at God. I've been blaming God for killing my mother and father. Boy, she got that thing out in the air. She got revived. Her husband, who, to quote him, was a backslider to end all backsliders. <laughs> he got right with God. I saw him seven years later. They'd moved to New York State. And brother, they were still on fire for God. God said, I will heal their land. I was in a meeting in Champaign, Illinois. God showed up and showed off. Saturday night, we had the three rounds of prayer, the spiritual CPR. Prayed for two and a half hours, seemed like five minutes. We prayed every night before the service. And those old boys got in there, and we took the witness stand against our own hearts. We began to cough it up and tell God the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And I'm telling you, on Tuesday night, the fire fell. In that church, there was a lady who had prayed for her husband for 30 years. They told him that he was bipolar. They told him that he was uh, manic depressive. They told him that he was antisocial. They slapped all those labels on him, and he believed them. He couldn't leave the house. He couldn't go into a crowd of people. He couldn't even go to the store. Second week, guess who showed up for the first time into that church? Her husband. She prayed for him for 30 years. I can still see him sitting in the back with his coveralls on him. You could look at him, and you could tell there's some issues here. But he came, and he sat for like two hours, which was like miraculous. He came the second night, came the third night, came the fourth night. Fifth night, the old boy got born again. The next night, he stood. He couldn't leave the house. He couldn't go to a store. He couldn't come into a building full of people. That place was packed out. He stood up, and he testified of the saving grace of God. Would you believe that that man, he was not completely healed, but he was 100% better than he ever was prior to that meeting. God touched that man. He came to service every time he wasn't sick. He worked in the Awana program. He wasn't 100% normal, but he was 100% better than what he ever was. And I'm telling you, God touched that man. And I want to say something to you tonight. When revival comes, there's a healer in the house. And brother, some things can happen in a God-saturated atmosphere that will not happen in an academic, cold, cool, casual, informative, consoling kind of atmosphere. There's some things that's not going to happen until God comes. And when God comes, brother, miracles can't happen. I'm just, I just believe in this. God can touch people. You know what I thought? Jesus was passing by. He happened to be at the right time in the right place. And I thought to myself, I wish I could bottle up this atmosphere. How many know revival is an atmosphere? How many know that God is an atmosphere? You know, you understand that, don't you? There's a presence. There's an atmosphere. And I said, man, if I could bottle this atmosphere up, there's multiplied tens of millions of people that got some serious real issues going on mentally and emotionally and all this kind of stuff. But if I could bottle this thing up and just <laughs> throw it out on everybody, which is impossible, but if I could, I believe a lot of people could find substantial healing in this life, total healing in the next life. Oh, my friend, he said, I will, I will heal their land. Oh, dear one tonight, what, a, what about it? He's Jehovah Rapha.
Now, God can heal, can heal the human heart of bitterness and resentment. Bitterness and resentment. Just dealt with a dear lady at Our Lady's Prayer Advance, and her husband or her father pimped her out starting at age 12, at age 12 for years. In her mid-30s, mid, mid she was able to confront it, deal with it, and I believe that God's going to heal her heart. I'm telling you all the things that have happened. You can go the psychology way if you want to, but I'm telling you the Holy Ghost is a healer, and when he shows up, he can heal the broken heart. He can heal us from our unrighteousness. Some of us sitting here tonight, we struggle so hard against sin. And some of us don't struggle. We capitulate. I mean, I have a Ph.D. in repentance because I sinned so much I had to become uh, uh, efficient at repentance because uh, I, I need to repent often. Often, he can heal us of our unrighteousness. He can heal us from our self-righteousness. Uh, he can heal us. He can heal us from our unthankfulness, our coolness, and the diseases of the soul. I'm telling you, a revived atmosphere is a healing atmosphere. There's life in the air. Oh, dear one, a man was saved in the revival, uh, revival in the Scottish Highlands. I had the privilege uh, to meet this man. He was saved in the middle of a move of God in the Scottish Highlands. You know, they say if you've ever been in the fire, you still smell like smoke. And he smelled like smoke, man. He had this fragrance about him. You know what he said? He said, something touched me where words failed to reach me. Something touched me where words failed to reach me. The consequences when God works, I will hear, I will forgive, I will heal. But listen to this, the community where God works, the community where God works is my people, my people. If my people, if my people, if my people, what you're called by, my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will heal their land, my people. You know what has, needs to happen to my people, God's people, us people, our people? Number one, there needs to be a breaking down, a breaking down. Roy Hessian said God cannot, uh, God can only fill valleys, not mountains. God can only fill valleys. He can't fill mountains. And God is closest to the man whose heart is broken. Isaiah 57, thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. He said, I dwell in the high and holy place, but he said, I also dwell with him that is of a humble and a contrite spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and revive the hearts of the contrite ones. We were in Boonesboro, Maryland, called a prayer meeting. Pastor called a prayer meeting uh, for the men. Had about 15 men show up. I'll never forget one guy. He was over, over on his face, weeping and sobbing. And here's what he said. He said, God, he said, oh, God, I've gotten so far from you. I don't even know if I can get back. And he poured out his heart. Can I tell you something? He got back. Why? Because there was a breaking down, a breaking down. Now, listen, God's got to work in you before God can work through you. And I'm here to tell you, what happens in you will affect other people, and what happens in you will determine what happens around you. 
The people who impact their world are people who have been impacted by God. And the best thing that we could do to promote revival and righteousness in America is to get revived and thoroughly right with God. That's the best thing we could do. Daniel confessed his sins and the sins of his people. Check it out. There was a breaking down. Number two, there was a breaking in. A breaking in. Hosea chapter 10, sow to yourselves in righteousness. Listen to this. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, your hard hearts, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Not only a breaking down in the presence of God, but a breaking in. I was in a testimony meeting in a church. A guy stood up and he said, I've been having chest pains. He said, I've been having chest pains. And I discovered it was a stress, fra- a stress fracture in my heart of stone. I had a stress fracture in my heart of stone. His heart was so hard. But what happened? He, God broke in. Jesus was manifest in human flesh, but he prayed. Listen, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, but he prayed. He lived a sinless life, but he prayed. He was obedient to the point of death, but he prayed. He performed miracles, yet he prayed. Now listen, he had all of this in his favor, but he still had to pray. How much more do we as God's people, God's people need to have a fresh baptism of a spirit of prayer come upon us in these days? Can I tell you something tonight? Get rid of your cool, casual, memorized Pre-recorded prayers. Everybody here tonight's got a pre-recorded prayer, a routine prayer, and the quicker you get rid of it, the better off you're going to be and the kingdom of God as well. Quit repeating the same thing every time. We're worse than going through a rosary list somewhere. I I mean, get off of that, man, and and, and get some heart into the situation. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. F.B. Meyer said the great tragedy in America is not unanswered prayer but unoffered prayer. I personally believe not only is the great tragedy unoffered prayer but unbelieving prayer. Quit praying with question marks. Start praying with exclamation points. Quit praying the prayer of doubt. For crying out loud, pray the prayer of faith. Leonard Ravenhill said the most fervent prayer meetings are in hell. The most fervent prayer meetings are in hell. Check out what that guy in Luke chapter 16, uh, how he cried out to Father Abraham. Peter Cartwright, the old famous Methodist evangelist in the Brush Arbor meeting. One night there was a man weeping and sobbing at the altar and a seminary student came, a seminary student came and tried to console him and put his hands on his shoulders and said, console yourself, brother, compose yourself, brother. Old Peter Cartwright took his giant hand and swept the seminary student to the side and said, pray on, brother. There's no composure in hell where you're going. I want to tell you something. It is so rare to find anybody that's under Holy Ghost conviction in fundamentalist churches in these days. It's a rare thing. It ought to be put on the endangered species list. We so dressed it up, explained it away, got it so polished, got all this outward external conformity thing going on. We ought to have a little conformity to God himself. Does anybody believe that here but me tonight? Some of these man-made preferences and rules and regs that we've come up with, brother, it's no different than what the Pharisees had concocted in some cases. Brother, listen to me. My, 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 my preferences, my styled preferences are not biblical absolutes. Say that out loud if you believe that. My styled preferences are not biblical absolutes. I like things a certain way. I like music a certain way. I like preaching a certain way. But brother... 
if, if God's on it, you don't have to meet up to my expectation. Just like pastor said tonight, he's been flexing, but he ain't flexing no more on the offering plate. That's over. It ain't never coming back. I'm just telling you. But, but he flexed. Why? Because, you know, we can appreciate the grace of God wherever we find it. Are you with me on this right here? And I want to tell you something. When you break up your fallow ground, you're going to wrestle like Jacob. When you break up your fallow ground, you're going to pant like David. You're going to hope like Elijah. You're going to persist like Bartimaeus. And you're going to weep like Jesus. James Stewart said, the church that's fully prepared for revival is already in it. So I have an announcement. If we're not in revival, all we need to do is set about fully preparing for it. And when we get fully prepared for revival, we'll be in the middle of it. Breaking up. Listen to this. Breaking through. Breaking down, breaking up, breaking through. You know, we, we have come to a point where breakthrough prayer is pretty much unheard of. Now, Abraham pled for Sodom. Jacob wrestled in the stillness of the night. Moses stood in the breach. Hannah was intoxicated with sorrow. David was heartbroken with remorse and grief. Jesus prayed with sweat and blood. And he said, if it be possible, let the cup pass from me. If there's another way, let's do it another way. Let me just say something to you. God works in a community to the degree he's allowed to work in the church. God works in a community in the degree, to the degree he's allowed to work in the church. If there's no fear of God in the church, there is no fear of God in the community. If there's no conviction of sin in the church, there will be no conviction of sin in the community. You know, Duncan Campbell said he lived in a time when in religious circles, everything was real but God. Everything was real but God. Eternity will never appear real to the unsaved if it's unimportant to people who are saved. I may remember back in the old days when they preached on the second coming and you thought it was going to happen before the afternoon was over. I remember the first time I heard about the rapture. I had a rupture when I was two, but I heard about a rapture when I was a teenager. I never heard of a rapture and Christ coming in the clouds and catching up the a bride. Wow, good night. Man. So I got so excited. I thought, man, alive, huh? I was afraid to go to sleep. I was afraid I might miss out on something, you know. I, I, was, I was just, it, it was, how many remember when the imminent return of Christ uh, really did something in your heart? Can, can anybody identify with that when it, when it did something in your heart? Now, you, you were going to hear more preaching on the second coming because uh, the happy days are, are, <laughs> are fading and, and we're going to hear more preaching about heaven because uh, heaven is appealing to people who are suffering. And I want to say something to you, brother. Uh, there's got to be this breaking through, this breaking through. What's more important, the things of time or the things of eternity? And if we expect God to break in, somebody's going to have to break through the veil of time and get in touch with eternity. But notice this other one right here, breaking in, breaking in. In verse 1, God broke in, the fire fell, and glory filled the house. Can you imagine? The priest couldn't even stand up. Man, everybody was on their face. I mean, the presence of God was so thick. Esther Satira, Ralph and Lou Satira saw the amazing Canadian revival. Started out with 250 people at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Saskatoon, Canada. Uh, eight weeks later, they had 4,000 people meeting on Great Cup Sunday. 
Great Cup Sunday. That's the, that's the uh, Super Bowl of hockey and 4,000 people and God was all over the place and, and I was interviewing them about that revival. You know what Esther said, Ralph's wife? She said, Harold, sometimes the presence of God was so thick that nobody could speak a word. Not even the people that's supposed to be moderating the meeting. God superintended, man. God came. God swept through wave after wave of converting grace, of saving grace. You're talking about prayer meetings, man. <laughs> I mean, they had some prayer meetings breaking in. I wonder tonight, how anxious are you to see the glory of God fill this house? I don't know about you, but I'm not going to be satisfied to put in time, have meetings, make budget, pay the staff, keep the programs going. I'd kind of like to see a little visitation of God on earth, wouldn't you? A few years back, my wife and I were privileged, my wife Debbie and I were privileged to get in a move of God in Maryland. This church had three months of intensely seeking God. I have never been to a church that was more fully prepared for revival than this one. And when we showed up, the revival was on. We showed up on Saturday night. There was uh, about 300 people came to prayer meetings. Now, ask, ask me how many times I go to churches where 300 people show up to prayer meeting on Saturday night. This is the only time it's ever happened to me. They were so excited. There was tears. There was burden. There was weeping. Uh, there was excitement. One lady was weeping, and she said, God, this is just as exciting as going to the amusement park. That's the way she put it. And uh, those people poured out their hearts to God. I went, we went to the trailer. I said to my wife, I said, honey, put on your seatbelt. We're in for a ride this week. Next morning, we had two services. 15 to 20 people trusted Christ publicly in those first two opening services. We'd come to church at night. Uh, the auditorium, it was a gymatorium, was absolutely packed out. And we had two of... Uh, overflow rooms with video feeds. One night we had 70 kids sitting on the floor. I mean, I'm not the Pied Piper of youth, all right? But we had 70 kids on the floor because God was there. We had people saved uh, before the service, during the service, and after the service. A public school teacher invited a kid from a high school who had just gotten out of jail to come to church. He came to the parking lot. He was so ashamed he wouldn't even enter the building. He was weeping. He left the premises. The public school teacher uh, didn't see him in the service, so he called him up and said, where are you? He said, well, I came, but I was ashamed to come in. He said, I'll be right over. He, he relieved himself of his responsibilities, and he went over to the kid's house, brought him back to the church, and the guy got saved. I, I, I'm just telling you, it was amazing. Uh, the first Sunday, we had a, a drug-addicted woman get saved. The second Sunday, her drug-addicted husband got saved. Uh, the second Sunday, I'll never forget this, uh, before the invitation was given, there was a guy in the back. The place is packed out. They got metal chairs and a concrete floor. <laughs> and he started rattling those chairs and uh, such a ruckus and a commotion going on in the back. And I, uh, the people got their heads back. I said, folks, we got a taker already, and no invitation has even been issued. And he came down and gave his heart to the Lord. We had, we had a cocaine addict. It was amazing. Uh, we had a Christian high school chapel that went for nearly three hours. Kids apologized to their parents for disrespect. They apologized to their teachers for cheating. Uh, I've never seen a more respectful group of young people in my entire life. I'm, it was absolutely amazing. 
On Thursday night, the pastor said, anybody here got a testimony of grace you'd like to share with the congregation? Anybody got a testimony of grace? And they started coming and giving their salvation testimonies. We had entire families who got saved. The father, the mother, and the children. And all of them are standing in front of that crowd giving God the credit. It was amazing. After we'd heard these testimonies of victory, pastor said, uh, anybody got a burden that you really need some prayer about? And people began to come and open up their hearts about their real life issues. So somebody would come and share a burden, and the pastor would say, all right, we need 20 people to go and pray over this person right here. So he'd send them over to the corner. It's a big auditorium. Send them over to the corner. Got about 20, 30 people uh, huddled around them, laying hands on them, praying over them. And the testimony meetings going on unabated. Sanctified chaos. Uh, sanctified chaos. Organized chaos. It was the most unusual thing. By 11 o'clock, I bet you we had 250 people on their feet praying over people all over the congregation. And the testimony meeting was going on unabated and it all seemed normal and it seemed just right. Saturday night we had a three-hour testimony meeting and brother, you talk about a blowout. I'm telling you people met God. People met God. It was amazing what was going on in that place and, and I just want to say something to you. God broke in among us. God broke in among us and brother it sure is good to be in town when God is. And, and I'm telling you if things have become a routine a routine we need to say, oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens and come down, a breaking in. There was a wealthy businessman in England. He had a heart for the poor children uh, there in London. So he did all kinds of kind things for them. They were very, very poor. One Saturday, he loaded up a busload and they went to the ocean because these kids had never been out of the city. They'd never seen the ocean. So he took them on a bus to the ocean, and all day long they frolicked and played and swam and had a great time. And, and they're on the way home. So the wealthy businessman went from seat to seat and was interviewing the children about their perceptions of seeing the ocean for the first time. He sat down beside this one kid who had a half a bottle of ocean water. And the businessman said, oh, wh wh what are you doing with this uh, bottle of ocean water. He said, well, my mother's never been out of the city. She's never seen the ocean either. I want my mom to see the ocean. And the businessman said, well, son, how come it's only half full? And the little boy said, I had to leave room for the tide to come in. I had to leave room. You got any room tonight? for the tide to come in, sir? You got any room for the Holy Ghost to come into your, your, your inner sanctum? Oh, dear one, breaking in, breaking in. You shouldn't be afraid of, uh, of, of the presence of God. Brother, we ought to crave the presence of God. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the community where God works is his people. Breaking down, breaking up, breaking through, breaking in. The consequences when God works, God hears, isn't that a blessing to be able to get the ear of God? God forgives. Isn't it wonderful to know the atonement's got us covered and God heals? Isn't it wonderful that we have a Jehovah Rapha? The circumstances where God works. Be encouraged when there's been disobedience, failure, when there's been drought, when there's been disease, when there's been destruction. That's 
the grace of our God. No wonder they said his mercy endures forever and forever and forever and forever. And the conditions for God to work, really simple. Get humble, get hungry, get honest. Say it with me. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Anybody here tonight a candidate for the reviving touch of God? Stand to your feet. If you feel like you... If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.